no place like home. He's here! For the holiday. Where's my backpack? Because no matter how far away you roam. You know what? He smells. If you are a Continue our series, uh, Home for the Holidays. We've been looking this uh, whole Christmas season at different dynamics of a family, and maybe your family sounded a bit like that uh, soundtrack we were just listening to this Christmas. And uh, we're going to continue that series today. Pastor Jim's out of town, and so if you don't know who I am, my name is John Rauch. I'm the children's pastor here at Grace. And um, excited to be opening up God's Word for you guys today. A few weeks back, Jim talked to the men in our church, and he challenged them to be the leaders that God has designed them to be in their families, here in our church, and, and in our community. And today we want to take a look at the other side of the coin. We want to talk uh, about the unique dynamic role that women play in families. And in many families, the women are the glue that hold the family together. And we want to challenge the women today from God's Word about what God says about their important, their vital role in families and in communities. And so we're going to take a look today at them. This message is really for everyone here today, though. It's not just for the women, but for the men as well. And uh, so I hope that uh, God will use it in in your life. Growing up, I learned a lot about how to relate to women from making a lot of mistakes. I don't know if you guys are like that too, you know, but uh, I definitely learned my lessons in the school of mistakes. For instance, when I was in high school, a friend, group of friends of mine, we went to an amusement park for the day. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and uh, we went to this place called Dorney Park in Allentown. We went there, and we were hanging out for the day, and my best friend, Jason, uh, who I'm going to see this week because we're going to go into Pennsylvania and see my family. We haven't seen them yet for Christmas. And anyway, we're going to go see Jason. Well, Jason had a headache, and I knew that my sister who was also along on this trip and was in the, at the amusement park with us, kept Tylenol in her purse, which was in the van in the parking lot. And so I said, let's go back to the van. Let's go out to the parking lot. My sister won't mind if I root through her purse looking for Tylenol. And so I looked through her purse. I found the Tylenol. But you know what else I found? I found a bunch of notes that she and her friend had written to each other. And being the great younger brother that I was, I believed it was my role to read those notes. And so I read these notes that were from my sister and her friend, who was also along on this trip, my sister's friend. And in these notes, my sister's friend talks about how much she likes me. And this is what I'm reading. And and she describes, and she's talking about my sister. And my sister's talking about it in her notes back. This is really interesting reading to me. And as if reading the notes wasn't bad enough, here's what I did. My friend Jason and I decided to not put them back into the purse, but to hang on to them and put them in our pockets. And if that isn't bad enough, here's what we did. On the drive home, in the 15-passenger van, in front of everybody that was there, we read the notes out loud. Yeah, not the way to win the woman, was it? 
duh. What's crazy is that a couple years later, I became a follower of Jesus. And God changed me from my wicked ways of reading women's notes. So much, he changed me so much that that girl who wrote those notes to my sister gave me another chance. And we became high school sweethearts, if you can believe that. And we're married now for over 13 years. And we have three children together. Can you believe that I did that to my precious wife, Tara? I almost lost the greatest gift that God's given me here on the earth before I even got started with her because of, duh-itis, right? Because I was a guy who wasn't very smart. But what I have found out over the years that I've been a pastor and just because of simply living is that I'm not the only one who's confused about what it is that makes a woman tick and what it is that allows her to flourish and to be the, the brilliant daughter of God that God designed her to be. In fact, I'm not the only man, but what I found out is that there are lots of women who are equally confused about what their role is in this world and, and how God designed them and how he made them to flourish and to be who he wants them to be. And so I want to talk to us today about the precious group of women that God has placed into our lives Lots of men, lots of women are confused. How do I become the woman that God intended me to be? What is my role in this world? Our goal today is to help unravel this, this twisted role of women so they can be freed up to flourish, to influence the changes that they want to see in their lives and in the lives of those around them. And God addresses this several times in the Bible. Let's take a look at his word today. If you didn't bring a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers will come forward here in the main. They'll come forward in the link and they'll put one in your hand so that you can follow along. Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. Turn there, Genesis chapter 2. By the way, if, if you don't have a Bible at home, just hang on to that Bible. Take it home with you. It is yours as our gift to you here at Grace. Genesis chapter 2. And read, we're going to start reading together, all of us together, uh, verse 18. So when you find Genesis 2, which again is the, sec the first book in the Bible, go to the second chapter, stand up. And we're going to read that together. Genesis 2, and we'll read verses 18 to 23. We're going to take a look at how God created the very first woman and what we can learn from that. Genesis 2, verse 18. Here we go. Ready? Read. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Thank you. You may have a seat. Thanks for reading along. Genesis 2.18, we meet the first 
a woman here that God creates Eve. Now, God does something unique here. Through all the creation account, if you were to go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, God creates something and he says, it is good. He makes the stars and the sun and everything else. And he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he makes man. And it's the first time in creation where he says something is not good. God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so he makes a helper suitable for him, Eve. Now, when we read this text, we might be tempted to think that the Bible places men as superior to women. He made man to be the leader, and then he made a helper for him. But the truth is actually different. When the first readers read this account in Genesis that Moses had written thousands of years ago, it actually elevated women in the culture that they were in. Because the word helper in the Hebrew language that it was originally written is the same word that is used to describe God himself in the several places in the Old Testament. And so God was saying, listen, man is incomplete. He needs a helper like me to come alongside, to fill in the cracks and the gaps that exist in his makeup. God gave man this precious gift of a woman. And in Moses' culture, it was elevating women because it was showing that they are created equally in the image of God, where both men and women receive their value and receive their worth by being equal sons and daughters of God. Adam was to be the leader. Eve was to be his essential partner. It wasn't a matter of value. It was simply the roles that they played. Filling in the cracks is what Eve's job was. But then something goes wrong in this relationship. Like every relationship that stops being perfect after three dates, so does this one. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have a problem, right? And if you've read Genesis 3, you know what happens. Sin comes into the picture. And sin wrecks and destroys all of creation. But it also destroys and wrecks this relationship, this perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had had. Up to that point, she hadn't seen him scratch his rear end. He hadn't seen her without her makeup. Things were perfect. But things go wrong here in Genesis 3. And sin comes into play. Now look at verse 16, where God speaks to Eve, the woman, and explains to her part of the curse that is now going to be on her and in humanity. Genesis 3.16, To the woman God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain will you give birth to children. It's not going to be easy to raise kids. It's going to be hard and difficult. And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now this perfect relationship that God had designed was now going to be stressed because the woman would try to lead. Her desire would be for her husband's place and would be to, to be the one who leads and is on top. And the husband will now try to rule her. And there will be this tension and this friction between husbands and wives, between men and women, to play out the roles that God had originally given them. And so that is why there is so much confusion today on these roles. 
And there will be conflict between the man and the woman and all those perfectly designed strands in a woman's DNA are now going to be disproportionate to their original intent and are going to be off. Well, let's take a look at a passage in the New Testament, and that's where we're going to stay today. If you go to the very, very end of the Bible, you'll find Revelation. Look a few books into 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Revelation, and then Jude, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then 1st and 2nd Peter. And so we're going to look at 1st Peter chapter 3. Because Peter was talking to a, to a city, to a church, filled with people, men and women who were confused about their gender roles. And he wanted to help them to flourish in their lives and in their families. And we're going to take a look at that passage today. 1st Peter 3, verses 1 to 6. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6. Verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now pause for one second because it says, in the same way. We have to go back and understand what is he talking about because in the context, he was talking about something. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, the chapter before, Peter is, is addressing a believer's uh, role in submitting to authorities in different domains. And so he's saying, here's what it looks like to submit to government authorities as believers. And here's what it looks like to submit to co-workers and to bosses as believers in Jesus. And here's what it looks like to submit to authorities that are in the church. And he kind of goes through this whole list. And then in chapter 3, he comes to wives and he says, in the same way, in families, wives must be submissive to their husbands. Keep reading. So that if any of them do not believe the word, that's the men, if any of them don't believe the gospel, or if they're not believers, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Remember our truth from Genesis chapter 2, that God elevates women, that God never degrades them. He protects them always. Just look at the culture around the world and compare the different cultures where Christianity has influenced and has shaped the culture of that nation. And compare that with the countries where Christianity has not helped to shape and influence the dynamics of that culture. And compare how women are treated and valued in those cultures. And you will now see the difference that Jesus makes. Jesus loves and lifts up and elevates women. And you look at the role that they play in a nation that is shaped by Christianity versus one that is not, and you will see a stark contrast. Will you not? Yes, you will. So don't ever believe the lies that say that Jesus degrades women. And don't read that cultural lie that is, is swirling around our culture today into this text when you read 
Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Don't read that in, that, that thought. In fact, in the Roman world where Peter was writing to those first century Christians, to those first century women, it was tough for them to navigate their faith as women. You see, men in the Roman culture had so many more rights Women did not have a means to provide for themselves outside of their husbands. That was the culture that they were living in. And so if a woman would become a Christian and she would begin to preach at her husband, she'd be out in the street. He could divorce her for, for almost no reason at all, whereas a woman could not divorce a man for any reason. And so Peter was giving some instruction to these wives on how to live and how to navigate the world that they were living in. He was protecting them and caring for them and giving them another way. But the same principles are true for today. If you are a woman who wants to influence the world around you, Peter's principles still apply today to you and give you some great insight. Because there is something in a woman that desires to bring out the best in other people. When she sees something wrong, she has to bring it up. She has to initiate change. That is just the way God wired her. And that's a good thing. But there are good ways and there are bad ways to go about bringing change in your world, ladies. And Peter gives some great tips, some great advice to give you so that you can successfully navigate and bring about the influence and the change that you want to do. Women are often eager to fulfill their role as God's helper in helping to men and their families become like Christ. And so we want to help you become the best helper that you can be. And here's the first thing that I want to say today. For women to influence the changes that they want to see, one, they must use their words to build up their families, not to tear them down. They must use their words to build up their family, not to tear them down. Because there is something that God has placed in the beautiful DNA of a woman that makes them often better communicators than men. Now, I know that there are some women who struggle with communication just like men and, 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 are, and, and are shy. But overall, that is very true. Women are much more better communicators, and they are much more in touch with their feelings, and they are much more willing to talk about them with other people, much more than men. And that is a wonderful thing. But sometimes women will use their words and not to build up, but to tear down. They will take that gift that God has given them as a communicator, and they will use it to tear down the people in their lives instead of building them up. A woman seems to know everything that her friends, that her children, that her parents, that her co-workers, that her man, and even that the mailman is doing wrong. They just keep this mental list and they know all the things that other people are doing wrong. She knows it and she makes sure that others know it too. As soon as they get home from school, as soon as they get home from work, they got their list ready to go. 
are you ever going to change that light bulb? I have told you 10 times to not turn here, but to turn up the street. It's so much quicker. And on and on and on their list goes. They have this list, and it's right there. And if you were to ask a woman, and if she is honest, she could tell you, bam, 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 right now the things I wish I could change about my husband. Bam, 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 the things I wish I could change about my kids. Bam, 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 the things I could wish I could change about my parents. It's right there, and it's a gift that God has given her, but she goes about seeking those changes in the wrong way. Peter says to be careful with your words. Something in in her twisted nature, in her broken, sinful heart, the way that she goes about seeking the changes that she wants to see in her husband or whoever is often the very thing that causes it to keep from happening. The way, women, that you go about seeking those changes is often what gets in the way of that change actually happening. Because of your words. He knows that he needs to change. But God must change his heart. Sometimes, though, God can't get through because the woman is so loud and overpowering. You may be hindering the work that God wants to do in your family's life because of your words, because of your mouth. You actually may be getting in the way of God making the changes that he wants to make because of your mouth. In fact, Peter gives us some great advice. If you can't say anything nice and encouraging, then he says this in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe, they may be won over. What does it say? Won over without words. Circle those two words. Underline those. Peter says sometimes women don't even use words at all. Without words. To see the change that you want to see in the people's lives around you, you must sometimes just not even use words Because, listen, it's going to come out like a lecture. And let me just give you a piece of advice. Sisters, dear sisters, lectures don't work. Lectures do not bring about the change that you are desiring. Not in your man, not in your friend's not in your employees, not in your co-workers, not in your children. Lectures do not work. In fact, they produce the exact opposite result of what you are looking for. Instead of drawing that person into a closer relationship, you are actually pushing them further away. That is what a lecture will do. When there is a problem, a woman's natural response is to tell the person about it. And that's a good thing. That's called communication. A man's natural response to a problem is what? To ignore it. To ignore it. And that's where we have so much to learn from women. And that's a good thing where we can both learn to communicate and actually talk about problems that come up. But listen, when that telling him about it turns into a little speech which then grows into a seminar, 
which often if things don't get fixed right away, the wife or the woman is very willing to repeat that seminar day after day after day after day until she thinks it's actually heard. Listen, that does not work. That does not work. If, as it relates to the mental list that you keep of things you wish were different in other people, when you begin to think that the way to fix that is to say a bunch of stuff, let me just tell you, it is not. It is not the way to fix it. It's not helping your relationships. In fact, it is hurting them. Because there is something in the sinful nature of a woman that wants to nag. And listen, there is something in the sinful nature of a man that just shuts down to that. And it doesn't work. It doesn't produce the result that you're looking for. Peter says, they may be won over without words. Well, maybe he forgot about this issue that I brought up. I should just go ahead and remind him. Listen, he didn't forget. He didn't forget. He is a sinner and he needs God to change him. But he didn't forget. He didn't forget. The Proverbs are full of great advice for men. And the Proverbs are full of great advice for ladies too. Proverbs 9.13 says, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Nothing? That's strong. Yeah, nothing. She knows nothing about how to influence the people around her if she is clamorous. Do you know what the word clamorous literally means? Do you know what clamor is? It's loud. Okay? Clamorous or clamor is the reason that when Tara and I had, had preschoolers in our house, had young kids, we had, to put, we had to put the child locks on our kitchen cabinets because they would get the pots and the pans out and bang them, bang them, bang them, bang them. And that is the picture that Solomon says is of a woman who is just loud and is trying to sincerely share a message with someone else, but they can't even hear it because all they hear is this bang and bang and bang and this clamor. It's clamorous. And I love the advice that he gives to husbands. Turn to Proverbs. Solomon gives some interesting advice here. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verse 9. 21 and verse 9. Someone told me that this is, uh, in between services, that this was their uh, key verse for this Bachelor to the Rapture Club. I don't, that's what they called it. They wanted to be bachelors. And this was their theme verse. Here we go, verse 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live not on the roof, just, just on the corner of the roof. That is better. In other words, if you have a quarrelsome, clamorous wife, just take two or three small things with you and live up in the corner of the attic where you don't hear the clamor. That's the advice that he gives, right? And then I love what he says 10 verses later. Look down to verse 19, just 10 verses later. The Proverbs uh, author Solomon says, Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome or an ill-tempered wife. 
In other words, if you have taken your few possessions and gone up to the attic, but you can still hear the clamor from there, then just go out to the desert where you can't hear it at all. What is the point that the author is saying? Wives, listen. Women, listen. When you begin to lecture, you do not pull people in to closer relationship that you're desiring. You push them further away. You push them further away. It's interesting, as I'm reading these Proverbs, the men don't know if they're supposed to laugh and the wives aren't laughing at all. But they're funny. Proverbs is full of wisdom, like I said, for men and for ladies. Flip back to Peter because we're going to look back here again at 1 Peter 3. Listen, he is not saying do not communicate. All right? Husbands, he's not saying your wife should never talk to you. And, and wives, he's not saying you should never bring anything up. He's just saying, listen, it's important the way you go about it with your actions and your behavior kind of, kind of backing up what you're saying and, and be careful the way that you talk. But he's not saying don't communicate because that's part of the wonderful DNA that God placed into women, which forces families to talk about things they need to talk about. And women are able to bring up issues that forces communities to talk about things that need to be talked about. And that's a wonderful thing. But what people do not need is a lecture. So for women to flourish, for women to influence the change that they want to see, they must use their words to build up their families instead of tearing them down. And here's another thing that sometimes women will try to use to influence people. And Peter addresses it right here in chapter and verse 3. He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Listen, ladies, to influence, to bring about the change that you want to see, you must recognize that outward beauty doesn't last. Outward beauty doesn't last. (laughs) Sometimes women, lots of them, will try to use their looks to be the thing that defines them and to be the thing that will influence and hold sway over the men that are around them. And it just won't work long term. Beauty fades. Outward appearance doesn't last. I love marrying couples. One of the fun things to do as a pastor. And and I love the marriage counseling that we go through that our our church says we have to do. And and I love becoming friends with them and sharing lots of information and stories with each other. I love love the ceremony. You know, and, and I love the part. It's always fun to watch newlyweds together. I love the part of the ceremony where I say, you may kiss the bride. And then I got to like take the crowbar to kind of peel them away from each other because they just can't wait for that first night together. Man, he is so handsome. She is so hot. And they just can't wait to be together. Things change though over time, right? And then people begin to kind of get kind of scared for that night time together. You know, he wakes up and he looks over, her mouth's open. Her hair's all messed up. He wakes up. I'm sorry, it's even worse when she wakes up because she looks over and his mouth is open and he doesn't have any hair left. That's what happens in marriages, right? Things change. Outward appearance, beauty, it fades. It doesn't last. 
outward beauty doesn't last, and some women are banking on their outward looks to influence their man, to be their thing that keeps them going for years and years and years. And Peter has some advice for you. He says it doesn't last. Outward adornment, the word here used in verse 3, literally is the root word that we use for cosmetics, outward appearance, things that improve our outward appearance. In the U.S. alone last year, $12.4 billion was spent on makeup. You can run a lot of countries with $12.4 billion, and that's what we spent on makeup. We are so obsessed with how we look. And you know what? It's not all bad. Peter is not saying that you shouldn't care about how you look, but when that becomes the thing that defines you, when that is who you are, when your identity is wrapped up in how you look, listen, you will be in trouble. Your identity, your value, your worth comes from you being made in the image of God and Him saying, you are my daughter and I love you and you are beautiful. But when that becomes the thing that you are pursuing and putting all of your time and all of your investment into, you will lose Again, this is one of the wonderful things that God placed into the DNA of women. When Adam saw Eve for the first time and and says, wow, bone of my bones and and flesh of my flesh, literally in the Hebrew, he was saying, wow, how you doing? That's what he was saying. That's what it says. If you could read the Hebrew, that's exactly word for word what it says. He was impressed by the way she looked. There is something wonderful in in the body of a wife that draws a husband in like nothing else can do. It's funny that the opposite is not true, right? Wives are not as impressed with their husbands. Wives are the ones saying, put your shirt on. The neighbors are going to see you. Get your shirt on. What are you doing mowing the grass with your shirt? Get your shirt on. That's what wives are saying to their husbands, right? There's something about a woman that draws a man in, though. And that is one of the beautiful things that God has placed into them. But that is not where worth and value lie and that it shouldn't be treated as the most important thing that you have going. It should not be the characteristic that defines you. Now listen, when you come and you read this verse that says you, your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and the fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. What Peter is not saying is that those things are wrong that it's wrong to fix your hair, that it's wrong to wear fashionable clothes, that it's wrong to, to wear jewelry. Because if we take the text to actually read that way, we're actually doing the opposite of what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, don't let your outward appearance be what defines you as a follower of Jesus. But your inner beauty, your character, your qualities of yourself, That is what people should look at and see that you are a follower of Jesus, not the way you look on the outside. And so it works both ways. We shouldn't overemphasize our looks, but there's not something godly about underemphasizing our looks either. Because the point isn't that you should look as bad as you can or as simple or whatever. The point is that you just don't let that be what defines you. That you let your character be what defines you. That you pursue Christ and your inner beauty. That is the what defines the character of a follower of Jesus. There's lots of scripture that shows us that we should care for ourselves and exercise and eat healthy. But listen, that can't be what defines us because no matter how hard you try, you cannot push back time. 
No matter how well you take care of yourself, eventually you lose that battle. And if you're counting on your beauty to be the thing that wins and influences the men in your life and the people in your life, listen, ladies, you will lose. But what's really beautiful is when you pursue inner beauty. Words don't work. Beauty fades. And here's what Peter then talks about. Let's read verses 4 to 6. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that holy women of the past would put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Here's the thing, women. If you want to influence people, if you want to pursue the changes that you want to see in other people, here's what you must do. You must develop your inner beauty first. You must develop your inner beauty first, foremost, and primary. That is where Peter tells you to put your emphasis, to put your hard work in. Instead of investing so much time in lectures and in pursuing so much of your outward beauty, put that time into developing your inner beauty, your heart for Christ, your passion for Him. Because the way to influence your husband, the way to influence other people around you, isn't to change them, but it is to change you. The way that you will influence and carry a lot of weight in your influence around other people isn't to change them, but it's to change you. What's inside you? And when you realize that, you will become a powerful, influential woman. God uses a woman's inner beauty to change those around them. And we can all list women who have influenced us and impacted us and shaped us because of their inner beauty and the character, the quality of their character. And then Peter gives several words here to describe inner beauty. In the very first verse, and he repeats it again later, he says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. There is so much confusion today in our world over this word, submissive. Man, the world is so, that word is so distorted today. The world laughs at that archaic idea here in Scripture. The church feels the need to apologize for it, and we want to fix that today. Let's talk about this for a few minutes, because for a wife, for a wife, he specifically talks to wives here, one of the ways that they develop their inner beauty is to be submissive to their husbands. That's what he says clearly here in 1 Peter 3. First, I want to say this. The word is translated, or the word is written in the middle voice in the original Greek. And, and the translators really did a, a, try to do a good job of showing that in the way that they translate the phrase, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And what they are trying to show you is that it is a choice the wife willingly makes. Wives, submit to your husbands. It is a choice that a wife willingly makes. It is not a choice that a husband demands. It doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. And that is so 
crucial and key because there are husbands out there who would demand. And the scripture does not say that. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. It is a choice that the wife makes. The word literally means, the word means to place yourself under. And so we place ourselves under the authority of our bosses. We submit to them. We place our authority, we place ourselves under the authority of our government. We submit to them. And in the home, wives who are developing inner beauty and are seeking to influence the people around them place themselves under and submit to their husbands is what the scripture says. It is a choice before God that the wife makes to place herself under the authority of her husband when she says, I do. Submission is not demanded by a husband. And a husband who is demanding or commanding that a wife does whatever he wants to do is not biblical. In fact, if you look down to verse 7, it tells us husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. Be understanding. Bring them into decisions. Bring them into the family leadership structure. Bring them in on things. Be understanding as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. That is not the picture of a domineering husband, is it? Not at all. And when husbands live that way, it is so much easier for wives to come up under their authority. If you are a husband who walks all over your wife and lords your leadership over her and uses Scripture to enforce your will and to bully your wife, you are a loser. And you will stand before God for that one day. But listen, wives, this is not meant to be a scary thing or self-defeating. Remember, God always elevates women. He cares for them. He protects them. There is simply practical reasoning. God made the man first. He made him the leader. And he made the wife to be the one who was the helper, who came alongside not because the man was better or smarter or any other reason, simply because it's practical for one person to lead. When it comes down to it, and two people talk about something, and they just can't agree, someone has to give in. It's like when you're driving, two cars are coming, everybody seems to have the belief or the right that they should go first. Everybody, that's just born in us as drivers. We all believe, but eventually... There will be a collision. And at the point of collision, wives and husbands, someone must get behind the other person and let them lead. And God says, wives, at that point of collision, when you cannot agree, you must come behind and let your husband be the spiritual leader of your home. It's practical. A few clarifications, though. A husband is not the ultimate authority over his wife. God is. If God says something and a husband's disagreeing and a husband is pushing his wife to do something that God says is clearly wrong, a wife is responsible to God to follow him. And so a husband is not an ultimate authority. She must follow God in all things. Second, a husband is not, because of his God-given authority, automatically, though, more gifted, more valuable, more competent, or more intelligent than his wife. And so a husband isn't always right. In fact, a husband is wrong a lot of the time. And his wife has the freedom to respectfully share her thoughts on matters 
absolutely. So a husband isn't always right. God didn't name the man the leader because he was better than the woman. Third, the Bible never commands women to submit to men in general. This is clearly written to wives. It's the first verse, first word of the first verse. And so men aren't better leaders naturally for society. That's a misconception. God commands husbands to be the leaders for their homes, and God commands elders to be leaders for the church, to be men. But he doesn't say that men need to be mayors or presidents or governors or something else like that. Women may well just be as gifted and as competent for those jobs. There are times in 1 Peter chapter 2 when Peter is talking to the church that he says that men must come under submission to the authorities that are governing them and that very well may be a woman at times. And that is his role at that time in that scenario. But in the family, wise, if you want to pursue inner beauty, you must be willing to let your husband lead. And let me just say one more time, this is never a problem when a man is lovingly leading his home. When the men are standing up and actually being the spiritual leader, this is not a problem. When men are lovingly and considerately and respectfully leading their wives, the wives flourish under that leadership. That is why we spend so much time here at Grace talking to the men and challenging our men to be the loving, respectful leaders that God designed them to be. Because not only will men flourish in a church like that, but the wives will flourish as well. And that is what we desire for both men and women. Now, will that be hard sometimes for a wife? Yes. And listen, it is equally hard to be the leader. It is equally hard to be the leader and to be responsible for a family. Don't think that that is not a difficult job. That is difficult as well. And will it be hard sometimes for a wife to follow her husband if he is not respectfully and lovingly lead? Absolutely, yes, that is hard. But listen, God will be faithful and will walk with you through that journey as well. And even in that instance, God's word to you is wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Because listen, even if your husband is not doing his job before God the right way, it does not make it right for you to do your job before God in the wrong way. You will both answer to God for how you have acted in your marriage. And so wives, that is important that you recognize that God will walk through that with you. But when the husband leads, and when the wife willingly and supportively follows, it is a beautiful thing to watch. Wives, you can develop inner beauty so much. I know I took some time to talk about that, but that is so, so confusing to people today. I wanted to open that up. There are several other ways that Peter lists for women to also develop inner beauty. He talks about purity. When they see the purity, he says in verse 2, in your life, you will win your husband without words by your behavior. Wives, are you pursuing purity? And that's not just to wives, but that's to all women. Are you pursuing purity in your actions with others at work, with others at the gym, on Facebook, in the conversations that you have, in the clothing that you choose to wear? Are you pursuing purity? 
Are you pursuing purity and Christ with all those things? That is developing inner beauty in you, the kind that pleases God and the kind that influences others who will take notice. Listen, that is the kind of woman that honest, godly men are looking for. And that is the kind of woman who will have incredible uh, respect and influence over others. Pursue purity. Wives, pursue faithfulness to your husband. That's inner beauty. Peter gives another word right after purity in verse 2. He says, they, when they see the reverence of your lives, you will influence other people. That word is respect. Respect. Wives, are you pursuing respect, a respectful attitude in the way that you talk to and about the people in your life? That is what makes the gift of communication different from a lecture. It is when you have respect. And when respect is in your tone, and when respect is in your voice, when it's in the circumstances, when it's in the setting, when it is everything that you choose how to share the information that God has given you. And, and we've talked about this so many times. It's, it's in so many other scriptural passages. Ephesians chapter 5 commands the husband to unconditionally love his wife. Ephesians 5 commands the wife to unconditionally respect her husband and show respect to him. And so we've talked about it so many times. This is just another reference point to it. Another thing that uh, Peter gives for women to develop in their inner self, instead of verse 4, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Are you pursuing gentleness and a quiet spirit? He doesn't say a quiet mouth. You cannot not talk. He doesn't say that. But are you gentle in the way that you interact and talk and share? Are you gentle in those things? Not being pushy, not being demanding, not being loud-mouthed, but being calm. When there is conflict in your family, when there is conflict in your workplace, are you the one who is bringing about that conflict, or are you the one who is bringing about calm? That's the best way to think about it. The best and the strongest leaders, the ones who bring about the best and the biggest changes, still know how to be gentle. How to be gentle. So, I know there are some of you here today who are single women who are saying, John, how, what does this look like for me? What does this mean for me? Well, hopefully you've been listening because these principles don't only apply to marriage, but they apply to other relationships and everyone around you that you're trying to influence. But let me say three specific things for the single and single again, ladies. The first thing that I can tell you is to find women who are like this that we've described today, who have this kind of inner beauty, and get around them. Be around them. Find out what Pilates class they're taking, what Zumba class they're taking, and go there and be there. Find out where they're at. Take them to coffee. Ask them questions. Let them mentor you and teach you. Where they are, be there. And also give them authority in your life. In other words, if those older godly women tell you that your boyfriend is a loser, break up with him. Let them have the authority in your life that they deserve because they are mature in the faith and they are following Jesus and they've seen a thing or two. The second thing that I would say to you is to take your own spiritual development very, very seriously. 
Develop your inner beauty with everything that you have. Pursue Christ. And that will bring about the kind of man that maybe you're looking for. Because the man that you are looking for is doing the same thing. And if he is not pursuing Christ with everything that he is to develop his own inner self, then he's not the man that you're looking for. If he's not going to be able to lead you when you're dating, how will he spiritually lead you when you're married? He won't. Develop that inner beauty, that inner uh, uh, discipleship, sanctification in yourself with everything you have. And the third thing that I would tell you, and this is good for singles and for wives, and it may be hard to do, but take some time, take some time of solitude and silence and get to the bottom of how you really view men. Get to the bottom of that. Look at some of the relationships that you have been in, what type of man you're attracted to, how those relationships end and begin, and look for patterns of dysfunction. And look for expectations that you are putting on a man that only Jesus Christ, your Savior, can fulfill. Sit down with a counselor, with a trusted, godly counselor if needed, to work through that and get to the bottom of that. Let me close with this, women. Lectures don't work. Beauty fades. Instead, devote yourself to pursuing inner beauty. And here are two of the results that come out of this passage. Number one, it works. It says, if any of your, them, your husbands, don't believe, they may be won over without words. It works. There is something incredibly powerful about a woman that is pursuing Jesus Christ. There is something incredibly persuasive when she speaks and when she talks and the weight that she carries, and I can testify to that, to the powerful testimony that Tara's played in my life in helping me in my own relationship with God. It will influence people more than you ever know, much more than finger-wagging and hip-shaking. Now, there is no guarantee here. It's not guaranteed that if you pursue Christ that you'll be able just to influence and change everything about everybody the way that you want to. That's not a guarantee. When I say it works, it does. But I'm not saying it's a guarantee that every time it works the way you want it to. But here's what I can guarantee you, is that if you begin to pursue Christ and follow Peter's advice here in this scripture, I can guarantee that you will not be getting in the way of what God is wanting to do in that person's life. You will not be hindering them and hindering God's work in their life because of your attitude, actions, and words. And then finally, let me just say this to the ladies. Finally, it is unending. If you pursue inner beauty, it's unlike outward beauty, where the world says your value comes from but only fades. The value of inner beauty, which God develops, is unending and never fades. Never fades. And so that is what allows a godly woman to be so beautiful and to only be peaking in her 40s and in her 50s and in her 60s and in her 70s and in her 80s and in her 90s and beyond. The beauty that God brings about on the inside never fades. It never goes away. It never stops being there. If you continue to pursue Christ, 
you will continue to influence people around you and have a great impact on the people that you love. And it will never, ever fade. Lord Jesus, we look to you because we need your help. Men and women both. We need Jesus desperately to change the sinful thoughts, the sinful patterns that are in our lives. Lord, the way that we go about seeking change in other people, the way that we go about treating other people, God, some of us need to just repent and just get a fresh start with you today. Lord Jesus, we are desperate for your Holy Spirit. Use your words to change our hearts. I pray that we would see women in our church flourishing, pursuing you, making a big impact in the world that they live in because of the inner beauty that is in them. Jesus, raise up a powerful group of ladies at Grace Community Church who will make their praise loud and their impact loud on our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.